Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture. We are a non-profit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This presentation and many others are available through our online library at instituteofcatholicculture.org and on our ICC app. Whether you are looking for weekly Bible studies, in-depth courses, or talks related to the faith, you will find it at the ICC. Please check out our upcoming schedule of live online events and engage with us on social media. All are welcome to join our growing international ICC family. For handouts, links, and further study materials, please visit this program's page on our website or app. Our speaker this evening was ordained in 1996 when he finished his Master of Arts degree at the Angelicum in Rome. He has served as parochial vicar at several parishes in the Diocese of Arlington and as pastor of St. John the Beloved in McLean. He currently serves as the Episcopal Vicar for Clergy, Director of the Permanent Diaconate Program, and pastor of St. James. Author of That Nothing May Be Lost, Reflections on Catholic Doctrine and Devotion, and editor of Sermons in Times of Crisis, 12 Homilies to Stir Your Soul, Father Scalia is a member of the Institute of Catholic Culture's Board of Advisors and has given it numerous extremely popular lectures for us. We are so pleased to be able to welcome back such a wonderful priest and great friend of the Institute. So please join me in welcoming back Father Paul Scalia. Welcome, Father. Good to have you back with us. Good to be back. Thank you, Kelsey. Let's begin with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Almighty God and Father, we ask for the grace of your Holy Spirit as we still bask in uh, the glow of Pentecost. We ask that you pour your Spirit into our hearts to increase within each of us uh, the gift of charity, that we may love love you more firmly, and love our neighbor for love of you. Ask you to enlighten our minds this evening to your truths and strengthen our will to do good so that in all things we may seek your truth and strive to love you and our neighbor. We pray all this in the name of Jesus the Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful. It is not arrogant or rude. Love does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrong, but rejoices in the right. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For our knowledge is imperfect and our prophecy is imperfect. But when the perfect comes, the imperfect will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 
For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall understand fully, even as I have been fully understood. So faith, hope, love, abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. So wrote St. Paul to the Corinthians. And today, what do we say? Love is love. That is the mantra that we hear all the time. And that phrase indicates a crisis about how we speak of what is most important to the human person, how we speak about what we've been created for. And one of the reasons that we've fallen into this, um, this silliness, saying love is love, is because we've lost sight of the fact that love or charity, this vir virtue that we're talking about tonight, is a distinctly Christian thing. It did not exist in the, in the pagan world. Uh, it's not something that the Christians inherited and built on, like, like, the, um, like the, uh, the cardinal virtues of, uh, of prudence, justice, temperance, and fortitude. Now, faith, hope, and love are distinctly Christian, did not have an existence uh, in, in the ancient world. And now as Christianity in, in public life is receding and people think that they're bringing forward all of the Christian terms, but shorn of any Christian content, that's what we're facing. And so people go around saying something silly like love is love. Now, any child can see that that's an absurdity. I um, there had some of the school children at mass the other day and uh, without um, addressing this, that issue uh, in depth about love is love, I did point out to them that, well, I love pizza and I love my mom. Uh, I love baseball. I love God. I love country music and I love myself. And anyone can see that these are different kinds of love, that love actually is not love, that we, we admit we, acknowledge different kinds of love. And there's a poverty in the English language, as many of you know, that we have this one word, love. And whereas ancient Greek and Latin have various words to express the various forms or expressions of love. And to make things even more confusing uh, for us, uh, we can refer to it as the virtue of love or the virtue of charity. But if you say love, then people will quickly, quickly reduce it to something just sentimental, just to an emotion. And if you say charity, people will immediately just think of, um, of charitable giving, right? Of making a donation to something. And so these words really need to be rehabilitated. And we always need to be clear about how we mean them. But if nothing else, we have to reject this absurdity that love is love. It's not what St. Paul meant. That's not uh, what built Christendom. This is the most distinctive Christian virtue. This is the one that, um, that uh, from the ancient world until today is the most conspicuous. It's what, what captures people's attention the most, is when they see our faith and our hope in action by, uh, by our love. Uh, so Tertullian says in, you know, in the, what, the second century, uh, he quotes what people say about the Christians. See how they love one another. 
It was that conspicuous love for one another that 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 brought attention to the to the Christians and made made the the ancient world stop and and look at them. Uh, and then you you go look at uh, all of the martyrs, and uh, I would say in our um, in most recent times, most especially Saint Maximilian Kolbe. There's no other way to explain his willingness to die except this supernatural virtue. And um, Mother Teresa and her her love for the poorest of the poor. You know, Mother Teresa has been, um, she has just been um, savagely criticized by various people, uh, Christopher Hitchens most of all. But they will criticize her because she she wasn't a social reformer and she wasn't interested in social reform. And she was interested in, in being poor and in loving the poor, not just in serving the poor, but in loving them. So we have to be very careful about uh, shortchanging this virtue and seeing it just uh, as the world does, seeing it as just a matter of being nice to people. And so it, it would be it would be charity shorn of any divine dimension, at which point it ceases to be charity. So the, the, the love that we're talking about this evening, agape, is the most important of the virtues. As St. Paul says, you know, faith, hope, love, abide, these three. The greatest of these is love. Without love, faith and hope are, are, are dead. They're, 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 not, they're not actually active or alive in our souls. It is charity or love that, that brings these things to life. It is what we call the form of all of the other virtues, does that mean? Well, it's the only virtue that exists for its own sake. It gives shape and meaning and purpose to all of the other virtues. No other virtue um, exists for its own purpose. No other virtue exists for its own purpose. And this is where we we, we run into a lot of problems. Um, I think most especially in the area of chastity, <laughs> uh, a lot of well-intentioned Catholic speakers will speak about chastity as if it's an end in itself. And in, in so doing, they're not really talking about chastity. Um, chastity exists for the purpose of loving God, oneself, and neighbor. Uh, it, it, is, it is a virtue applied to a certain dimension of the life as an expression of charity. And so, so uh, also with all of the other virtues. That's why St. Paul in 1 Corinthians gives that whole list, right? Love is patient, love is kind. And, you know, we're all familiar with it. We've heard it a million times. And because it's it's been trivialized, you know, so at, at so many weddings, unfortunately, um, the the full force of it hasn't been brought forward. Uh, what Saint Paul is getting that getting to in that is that is that uh, love needs all of these other things really uh, to be expressed fully, and at the same time, love is giving form to all of these things. Patience is not really patience, and and unless it's out of charity. So if you think you're being patient <laughs> with your spouse or with your children or who, your coworkers or whoever else, but you're, you know, you're still just kind of hating them. You're just not showing it. Okay. That's not patience. <laughs> that, that's just, you know, that's just biting your tongue. And that's, a, that's a very different thing. Put it another way. Uh, I heard of, I was told of a debate uh, years ago at, at Notre Dame university and uh, the topic to be debated, to, to be debated was, all you need is love, right? Which is, of course, you know, unusual to debate a Beatles song, but um, it, it, you know, this is it's a great it's a great question. All you need is love. Is that true? Well, in one sense, yes, 
because um, it's the only one that will exist in heaven. Uh, faith, love, hope, love, abide, these three, and the greatest of these is love, and love never ends, as St. Paul tells us. So in that sense, yes, if you're striving for charity, all of the other things will come, come, come into play. In another sense, no, if you really are striving for charity, you need to cultivate all of the others. So sort of in a classic Thomistic response, the, the answer to that question, the answer to the eternal question that the Beatles put to us is, in one sense, yes, and in another sense, no. So what is this virtue and how do we live it? Uh, well, in the interest of making this as boring as possible, let me put before you uh, several quotes. The first two from uh, the Universal Catechism. Charity is the theological virtue by which we love, we love God above all things for his own sake and our neighbor as ourselves for love of God. In other words, it's the virtue by which we live the two great commandments that Jesus Christ gave us, to love God and love our neighbors ourselves. Notice it's two commandments. You know, the, the, the scribe come for, comes forward and he asks for one commandment, which is the greatest commandment, and our Lord gives him two that are really three, right? It's a marketer's dream, like a salesman's dream. You want one? I got three for you. Um, it's to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so he kind of sandwiches one in there. We'll talk about all three of these. Another quote from the catechism regarding the first commandment. The first commandment of the Decalogue enjoins us to love God above everything and all creatures for him and because of him. So contained in our love of God, and this is a very important point, contained in our love of God is love of others, right? Get to that in a little bit. And finally, and this is the quote that I want to kind of unpack more. And this comes from Father Jordan Oman, a, um, uh, a Dominican uh, who taught at the Angelicum for years, uh, has some great books on spiritual theology. And he defines charity in this way. Charity is a supernatural habit infused by God into the will by which we love God for himself above all things and ourselves and our neighbor for God. Okay, so let's unpack that as they say. First of all, a supernatural habit. So the supernatural aspect, uh, this is something, and we'll get to it in a little bit. We're striving to do something that we cannot do on our own. It's impossible. It's impossible. Peter walking on the water. We go, wow, that's amazing. Well, anybody who's tried to love the unlovable is basically trying to walk on water. Uh, we don't have the capacity to do this. People very often struggle with forgiving their enemies or forgiving those who've really hurt them. It can't be done by just the, by human willing. It, it can't be done by human effort. We need this supernatural help. And that, notice, it's not just a supernatural help. It's a supernatural habit. Uh, St. Thomas defines uh, charity as friendship with God. We are brought into that friendship with God, uh, meaning that we possess something in common with him and that we communicate with him. We're in union with him. Uh, and what we share with him is nothing short of divine life. So charity is a participation in what God is from eternity. Uh, it's a it, it share in the very love of God. Uh, which is why St. Paul says in Romans 5, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit 
which has been given to us. And if we if we translated the, the, the Latin anyway, if we translated it slavishly or literally, it would be God's love has been infused into our hearts. I, I think that's a much more powerful line. It's infused, not just pour. You, can, you, pour, you, know, you can pour water into a glass and then pour it out, right? But the, the, it, to be something to be infused, it's, it's much more intimate and much and much more abiding, right? And that's that's another word that is used. He abides in us, and so establishes in within us uh, a habit, not an occasional thing. So we are not interested in random acts of kindness, in senseless acts of beauty, right? Um, we're, we're not interested in things being random or senseless. We um, we want we want charity to be a habit, not a every so often thing, but something that is living and abiding in us, and in and finding through us an expression in our uh, our words and our actions. Okay, so supernatural habit infused by God. Okay, I, I touched on that already. He is the one who gives us this virtue. We we don't un, unlike the. Um, uh, the, the, the cardinal virtues, which we can cultivate. I mean, they also uh, can be a gift of grace, but we, we, can, we can cultivate those in a natural order, and, uh, and the, the ancient pagans often did. Uh, this virtue, like faith and hope, does not come to us except God infusing it into, into our soul. And that is done at baptism. Uh, so if you're baptized, you have the virtue of charity. Uh, you might not be using it. It might be sitting on the shelf somewhere. It may have atrophied, but you have it. It is there. It needs to be dusted off and, or, or, or exercised. It gives us a share in who he is. And so um, it demands sanctifying grace. Um, we possess this so that we can communicate with him as a friend. And so when we fall into mortal sin and um, we kill sanctifying grace in the soul, then we, we've, we've broken our friendship with God. And, and, and now we, we've, we've killed charity in the soul, uh, which is why we don't go forward for communion, right? Because it would be a lie. You know, I'm saying I'm in friendship with God, but I'm not. I've, I've done something rot, rotten. Charity brings union. So when we say that, that this virtue is infused into us, it's not like God is, is, is aloof or apart. No, he is bringing by that gift, he's bringing us into union with him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as expiation for our sins. It's a very important thing. The first step in charity is, is receiving this, right? And, and recognizing I cannot love the way God desires me to love and the way he deserves to be loved and others deserve to be loved for love of him. I can't do that. Uh, he needs to place this capacity in me. In this is love, not that we have loved God that he loved us. So another thing in this regard uh, that I think would be helpful to, to touch on is that love exists, first of all, in God himself. So when we say God is love, we don't mean that he is loving. He is loving because he is love. He is in eternity and eternally. He is love itself. This is a, a very helpful thing to keep in mind as we approach the Feast of the Holy Trinity. When we say God is love, that's really kind of a, a statement about the Trinity. Uh, Allah uh, is alone. Nobody can be associated with him. 
and and the Muslim belief in in heaven is not union with God. It's just it's just kind of you know paradise. But nobody can be associated with Allah. The triune God is love before he has ever created anything. Because the father loves the son, the son loves the father, and the Holy Spirit is a love between them. And it is, it is from that principle that he does everything. So even creation is an act of God's love. When we are, intro- when we are given the virtue of charity, we are introduced into that relationship of love. His love is placed within us, and we are brought into that relationship of love between the father and the son, that, that, that bond that is the Holy Spirit, whom we just celebrated. You cannot be loved if you're just one person. <laughs> a lot of people try to, <laughs> and they're just selfish and self-centered. Um, but in order for God to be love, he needs to be, well, logically, uh, persons in, in communion. So back to our boring definition. Uh, charity is a supernatural habit infused by God. Now I said into the soul, but let's be more specific into the will, into the will. Some months ago, I think it was, we had, uh, we had a great discussion about uh, the emotions or the passions, as St. Thomas calls them. Uh, we, this evening, are not talking about the emotion of love. Okay, put that to one side. All right. Uh, we are talking about uh, the virtue of love, which is infused into the will. So it's given to our will so that we can choose to love. Um, so charity is not a mere feeling, and it's not an, ins- an instinct as affection is. So maybe that's a; those are two good words to use to make the distinction. We're not talking about affection. You can love someone without having affection for that person. Our Lord had affection for, for certain people. He was very close to uh, Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Uh, he had greater affection for Joseph and Mary than for anyone else. But he loved everyone with, in, perfectly with his, with his sacred heart. Uh, the great theologian, uh, George Strait, he, uh, in singing, of course, about a broken heart, says uh, about his, um, I must have been a wife or girlfriend, I know she still loves me, but I don't think she likes me anymore. Okay, there's a good distinction, right? So um, we, can, we can love people without actually feeling affection for them. Mother Teresa is a great example in this regard. Um, she had no delusions about the attractiveness, uh, beauty uh, of, of the poor, the poorest of the poor. She knew that they could, could be very off-putting, both in appearance and, and, and in smell and in their personalities. Uh, they could be rancorous and rude and demanding, uh, but she, she was loving them uh, really with, with the love of Christ. Um, and it wasn't just a mere feeling. So this is something that must be deliberately chosen and exercised. Uh, earlier, I referred to when we are given the, the virtue of charity, which, which is at baptism. So it is a, like a muscle. And like, just as you were born with muscles, with physical muscles at birth, uh, and you had to develop them as you went through life, so... Uh, after rebirth and baptism, you need to exercise those spiritual muscles, if you will, and the greatest of which is charity and um, choosing to uh, to love others. 
uh, as God has commanded us to. One significant difference between these, well, there are many significant ones, but one difference that I'd like to point out is as you go through life, uh, the strengthening of those physical muscles, well, that will decline. You just won't be able to strengthen them as, as much as you used to be able to, right? They'll, they'll, they'll start sagging and you're just, there's nothing you can do about it. That's not true for the soul. For the, as you go through life, the soul and charity in the soul can grow stronger and stronger. And so as the body declines when we, as, when we age, the soul should be, uh, should be ascending, should be growing stronger in charity. Uh, a friend of mine described Mother Teresa that way. Her soul just keeps going and her body is just hanging on. And that was a great, it was a great description because that's kind of the way Mother Teresa looked in the last years of her life. She looked like just like a body <laughs> draped over this, this, this soul of charity that just kept going. And notice um, these, these two parts of the definition, um, infused by God into the will. There is something divine and there is something human about this. Okay, uh, keep in mind St. Augustine's great line, the, the God who created me without me cannot save me without me. And so there is a divine work in our souls, that gift of charity, but we need to respond to it. We need to act on it. Uh, and so there's that, that human dimension as well. So there's the order uh, of grace that really uh, calls forth for, from us this, this cooperation. Okay, next part. What's the purpose of this gift? By which we love God for himself above all things and ourselves and our neighbor for God. Okay. Divine goodness is the motive of love. Divine goodness. We love God because he is entirely worthy of all our love. And he is the only one who is entirely worthy of all our love. Notice the hierarchy here. God above all things. And then, and then ourselves, and, and, and then, then our neighbor. We're approaching the Feast of the Sacred Heart. It'll be later on this month. And, and the great teaching of the Sacred Heart is that this, this is, is expressing the motive of God in everything that he does. It is out of love. Uh, and so our response of love should be, first of all, to love him, to, to love him above all things and for himself. So what does it mean to love? Okay, so the, this is where the classic definition of love um, serves us very well. You know, uh, the, in, in Italian, there are two ways of saying I love you. You could simply say ti amo, which is literally you I love. Or you could say, as Louis Prima did in great song, uh, ti voglio bene, ti voglio bene. Sounds great because it's Italian, right? But it's, it's, a, it's a very kind of logical uh, even I, I would say like Germanic structure to it. It, it. it is literally for you, I want what is good. <laughs> it sounds terrible in English, right? Stick with Tivoglio Bene. Sounds wonderful in Italian. To love means to say for you, I want what is good. To love means to will the good of the other, to will it. Sometimes you're going to be able to do it, be able to, to act on it and actually do something for the other. But the virtue is, in its essence, to will the good of the other. Uh, Bishop Robert Barron likes to um, let's append one thing to this, and I think it's a very important thing to do. To will the good of the other as other, as other. A lot of times people will 
will the good of the other. They'll love the other person just kind of like as an extension of themselves because it make it's making them them feel better. Okay, that's not charity. That's just kind of like that's using somebody else to make yourself feel better. No, it's to will the good of the other as distinct as other than you. Uh, that's an important distinction there. To love is to will the good of the other. Notice the controversy that this precipitates. What is the good? How do we know what is good for the other? Uh, and this is where we see huge, huge divisions uh, in the culture and unfortunately even, even within the church. If we do not understand the truth about the human person, the truth about God, the truth just about, about reality, uh, then we're not going to know what is good for the other. Uh, and that's the big controversy now. Uh, is, is, it, is it good to uh, take um, puberty blocking drugs? Is that good for somebody? Is that, is that willing the good of the other? Absolutely not. It's damaging to the person. Is it good for parents to take away their children's cell phones? Absolutely. Take them away. <laughs> you know, the children will disagree on that definition of good, but, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the parents should, should insist on that. So um, this is where a lot of difficulties come in. And, and um, because we don't always agree on, the, on what is the good. Among friends, uh, among spouses, what happens when you will the good of the other and the other doesn't will the good for himself or for herself. Now, now you have tension in a friendship or, or, or in a marriage uh, or within the church. When some say, this is good for you, I'm not willing this good. Uh, and the person says, I don't, I don't want that. I don't, I don't even want what's good for me. Uh, then then, then you, have, you have difficulty and tension. So I, St. Paul says, love rejoices in the truth, right? And, and one of the big mistakes, of course, in, in, um, in our culture uh, is to separate truth and love and, and to say, yeah, you either got truth, or you got love, but you, you can't have both. That's just, no, they, they must go together. Okay, so truth without love is really just, it's brutal. Uh, and love without truth is sentimental. So love rejoices in the truth because the truth guides, uh, guides our, um, our charity. Without the truth, without knowing what the good is, knowing who the human person is and what is with what the human person's purpose is, and therefore what's good for the human person, if we don't know that, then our acts of charity are really, you know, like, you know, unguided missiles. They're very dangerous. Uh, and a lot of harm has been done in the name of charity. A lot of a lot of harm has been done to society uh, in the name of charity. Okay. Continuing on with, with this, you know, this part of it, uh, we, to love God for himself above all things. Okay, notice the hierarchy. There's another bad word in our culture, hierarchy. Of course, there is a hierarchy uh, to love. There has to be because God is entirely lovable because he is love itself. But everything, is, we love other things insofar as God has created them. And, and they are they are held into being held in being by God, uh, and and human beings most of all, because because we are the summit of creation. But the important thing here is with with hierarchy, hierarchy is not division. Hierarchy is establishing an order within an organic whole, 
And so we love God, but within that love for God, we're also loving others. Um, and, and so this is what St. Catherine of Siena says, love of God and love of neighbor um, are, are the two feet by which we walk to heaven. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a great image. And so uh, here's another big error we make is to, to separate them. Some people will reverse the order or they'll just leave God out and just say, love your neighbor. And, and others will separate them. So, so love of God uh, and love of neighbor are, are not connected. When we love God for himself, then we are, we are introduced more and more into the truth. And so we can love our neighbor better. It's kind of like the theological equivalent of um, put your own you know, mask on first before you help the children in the plane, right? You've heard, gotten that instruction. And so uh, we have to seek to love God first by way of our prayer, by way of our worship. And when we, we, when we develop there, we are made more capable of loving our neighbor. This is why Mother Teresa's nuns always make a holy hour before the Blessed Sacrament. And that's a part of their life that they will not give up because unless they are growing in love of God uh, in, that, in, that, in that prayer, they're not going to be able to love Jesus in the poorest of the poor. This also kind of, um, I think, reveals the the, the mistake, uh, and and we see it all the time of kind of opposing, like you know, you're either about you know worship and truth, or you're about you know loving your neighbor and social justice. No, no. In the Catholic mind, these things all go together, and, and the more that we 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 seek to love God in our prayer, uh, in our worship, and the more we seek to know Him, well, the better we can love our neighbor and the better we can construct uh, a just society. Uh, so these things, although there's a hierarchy, there is not a division. And uh, one more thing about this hierarchy, our Lord slips in that, that third form of love, right? Love, love God and love your neighbor. And then like right between them, he puts, you know, yourself. And that's really the proper ordering. To love God, to love yourself because God loves you. You love yourself because God loves you. You don't love yourself because you're awesome, <laughs> because sometimes you're not. <laughs> you love God because he loves you. Uh, you love your neighbor because God loves your neighbor. Uh, and when you love God, you're participating in his love for you and for, and for your neighbor. If you do not love yourself, you're not going to be able to love your neighbor very well at all. Um, and a lot of times... People inflict harm on their so-called loved ones because they, they, there's not a love, for that, that proper love for themselves. They either don't like themselves or <laughs> they love themselves uh, too much. Either way, there's a defect in, in that second one. Um, and so that, that one, to my mind, is, and especially in pastoral work, it, it, it emerges to my mind is more and more important that, that to love God and, if, and then to love ourselves properly. Uh, because then we can, then we're going to be able to love others uh, properly as well. Yeah, the person who who has that proper relationship with God, loving Him and and receiving His love, and therefore loving oneself, that person, you know, kind of be careless uh, in in showing love for others. This is what we see in the saints. You know, I mean, Saint Maximilian Kolbe, Saint uh, you know Mother Teresa. Uh, there's a certain carelessness in them that comes from their love of God and their knowledge of his love for them and therefore their love for the, their proper love for themselves uh, kind of sets them free uh, to love others in, 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 in a scandalously generous way. Okay. Two, two of the things that I, I want to touch on before, before I move on to 
the bad news. How do you love, how do you seek the good? How do you will the good for God? I, I mean, you know, what do you, what do you give the guy who's got everything? <laughs> what do you give the guy who's created everything, right? Uh, if, if, if to love means to will the good of the other, well, what does it mean to will the good of God? Well, his good is that he be glorified. And so um, that we seek his glory in all things uh, is, is a way of concretely loving him. To seek that he be glorified in every little thing, uh, to be, that he be glorified in the liturgy, that he be glorified uh, in, in our relationships, that he be glorified in our work, in our play. Um, that, that's, that's, a, that's a way of willing the good for God. And willing his good means to share his will, because only he knows what is really good for him, right? And this is why our Lord says at the Last Supper, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? Don't try this at home, right? Only God can say that, uh, because only he knows how to love him perfectly. And so to have charity means to have a will that is united with God's. And, and that should free us from this wooden notion of, of obedience, that obedience is just the imposition of something. No, obedience comes when God's charity is infused into our souls, and we're so one with him that, that doing his will is, is just second nature to us. That's, that's the goal. Uh, and so we are doing his will, and in doing his will, we're giving him glory. In doing his will, we're seeking his good. And in doing his will, we're therefore uh, loving our neighbor uh, as, as God has commanded us. One more word about our emotions, and I, I, I touched on this when I spoke on this a couple months ago. Really, the virtue of love, it, it governs all other virtues. You know, maybe we could also say that it governs our, it should govern our, our passions as well. In other words, the, the more we love properly, the more our emotions will be in sync with what is true. Uh, and so... Um, uh, the, the more we'll know how, how to mourn properly or, or how, to, how to rejoice properly uh, and, and, and so on. Just a, a, about 10 minutes left. I, I want to, um, I, I just want to do a, a quick review of, I think, one of the most important books on this topic, and that is C.S. Lewis's Four Loves. It is, you know, it, it, it reveals C.S. Lewis to be much more than just the guy who wrote Chronicles of Narnia. I mean, it's, it's, it's really a great, great book. I recommend it to all married or engaged couples. And so really what this takes up is the question of how are our human loves compatible with divine love? Because a lot of times I think people fear that this the demands of charity, the demands of divine love will just kind of run roughshod over everything else. And unfortunately, there, there have been enough Catholics in history who've used um, charity as, as an excuse to neglect other things. Um, there, there are enough of them who've done that to kind of justify this, this notion that our natural human loves are somehow at odds with God's. It's, it's just the ancient lie that God is in competition with us. And so how do the natural loves interact with this supernatural love of charity? Well, one solution, uh, we, we find it in the Stoics. The Stoics say, all oh, desire is bad. And, you know, the, the response of the church was, no, des desire is actually, 
uh, and St. Augustine especially, you know, our hearts will desire something. Um, we're created that way. What Christianity brings is a proper ordering of that desire, of, of all of our loves. The, the Lutheran view of man's thoroughly co- corrupt nature due to sin would say that, you know, any human, you know, uh, or natural love is bad because we are so uh, entirely corrupt. That is not the, the, the proper uh, Catholic understanding of these things. Grace and nature go together. Uh, grace does not destroy, but perfects nature. And so our natural loves are good, although wounded. Uh, and they, they, they comprise kind of the, the fertile ground for, uh, for growth and charity. And then they are in turn perfected by charity. Um, they're the first place where we learn how to love. So just as God's creation is good, so the natural loves in his creation, although wounded, are, are still good. And so in the four loves, C.S. Lewis, and, and I know many of you have read this, but uh, C.S. Lewis goes over uh, the four, four words for love in ancient Greek. And, and in ascending order of importance, they describe the love of affection, the love of friendship, romantic love, and then, of course, agape. Um, that, that highest love. And, and he explains how, first of all, the highest, he says, does not stand without the lowest. That, that that divine supernatural love really depends on those lesser loves uh, to be expressed and, and to be lived out. It is, not, uh, it is not an intrusion into the human life, but it's, it's an infusion, infusion, right? So it's infused into these other loves and, and elevates them. It's much what St. Paul is, says in 1 Corinthians 13, right? That, that uh, love is patient, love is kind. In other words, all of these natural things that you encounter, they're infused but with this love. And they, they realize a greater importance, even as that love kind of depends on them. So these natural loves, they also show us the way to love of God. They're sort of a, a template, if you will, to help us, uh, or, or training wills may be another, another way of thinking about it. Affection, first of all. Uh, affection is our love for things <laughs> just because they're familiar to us. You know, I love my dog. He's ugly. Uh, he's ill-behaved. Uh, he's noisy and he stinks. Uh, he's, he's my dog. I love him. <laughs> you know, um, I think many of us have friends that we've had for years. Like, yeah, I don't really know why we're friends. I don't know when we became friends. And but we're just we're friends. I don't know. It just and um, it affection is that love for family, even though the family is imperfect. It's love for for you know where you grew up. This is what's behind a healthy patriotism. Uh, is I, I love my country. Yeah, it's flawed. It's got all these problems, but it's my country. So that's affection, and what that helps us to do is, is to have the capacity to love things that might otherwise be unlovable. So there's already kind of this natural preparation, friendship. Uh, friendship draws us beyond, and C.S. Lewis makes this point very well, friendship is not naturally necessary. You don't need friendship uh, the way you need affection to keep the family together. You don't need friendship the way you need romantic love to begin a new family. Friendship draws us beyond. It's, it's, it's probably the most spiritual form of love, and it, and, it, and, it, and it helps us to love someone without any sort of natural need or interest for that. And then Eros or romantic love, well, that teaches us the unity and the exclusivity 
that God desires uh, in our relationship with him. Pope Benedict XVI uses this in Deus Caritas Est to, and, and beautifully shows how Eros really is sanctified and elevated by Christianity, not dismissed, but, but, uh, but elevated to something, something great. So the highest cannot stand without the lowest, C.S. Lewis says. So, so these, these lower loves really help us. They're the training wheels for kind of uh, learning how to be people capable of love. Um, grace does not destroy, but perfects nature. And so we, the natural dimension is very important to us. Our natural loves should never be dismissed. Uh, in, in the book, C.S. Lewis imagines the scene, he's actually quoting Francois Mauriac, but he imagines the scene when our Lord says to the apostles, uh, unless you hate your mother and father, brother and sister, you know, you're not worthy of me. And Francois Mauriac imagines all of the apostles being absolutely scandalized by that, except Judas. <laughs> Judas is like, okay, done. <laughs> it's supposed to be scandalous, right? <laughs> Our Lord is, is making a point that, that these natural loves, they're supposed to be, they're, they're good in their place, which brings us to the other point that C.S. Lewis is making, that the lower loves, they must yield to the higher one. And if they don't, then they're, they're out of order uh, and they become, uh, they become demons uh, or they become gods really. And, 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 and false gods, which makes them demons. So unless affection and friendship and eros, unless they yield to agape, um, they, they, are, um, they become something they shouldn't be. So affection, instead of being sort of a, a love for family, <laughs> it becomes the mafia, right? <laughs> you know, the family above all else or it becomes nationalism instead of patriotism. Uh, friendship becomes a gang or a clique. Eros becomes just, um, you know, the, <laughs> the desire to be in love instead of loving someone. Um, or uh, as um, I think C.S. Lewis puts it, looking at the ring instead of looking at the bridegroom, right? Um, so unless these yield, to uh, that supernatural love that we call charity, uh, they get distorted. They're they're out of place. When the hierarchy is upset, uh, then then things um, rebel uh, against against us. Christ is the perfection of all of these loves, and the divine love, that charity that He's infused into our souls, into our will, are, it's meant to perfect us in all of these various loves that we have. When we look at the, the life of our Lord, we see that by placing love of the Father before everything else, he makes himself a better son, a better friend, and a better spouse. It is out of love for the Father that, that he becomes the son of Mary uh, and Joseph, uh, that, that he becomes friends and makes the, friend, the apostles his friends, and that he is the bridegroom of the church. And... All of these yield to his love for the Father. Despite his love for Mary and Joseph, he leaves his house. He leaves his mother and, and cleaves to his wife, uh, the, uh, the, the, the church. Uh, despite his love for the disciples, he chooses a course contrary to their, to their desires. Get behind me, Satan, he says to Peter, right? And despite his role as the bridegroom, Jesus forgoes marriage. He is celibate. And uh, not because he abhors marriage, 
but because he seeks to fulfill its perfection and goodness in his, his marriage to the church. May we uh, pray for, this, for an increase in this gift of charity that's already been infused into our souls, and may our Lord grant to all of us that increase so that we will uh, grow in love for the triune God, rejoice in our being introduced into that, into that communion of love, uh, and from that, possess that proper love for ourselves and that love for neighbor that distinguishes us as Christians. God bless. All right. Thank you so much, Father Scalia. What a wonderful reflection on the virtue of charity and love and um, certainly had me thinking about how I love and um, how that is expressed in my life. So thank you so much for that. All right. Are you ready? Uh, I think so. Okay. I think I saw a couple panelists had some questions. So why don't we go ahead and get started with Maura? Do you want to go ahead and unmute yourself? You mentioned that we can love without having an affection for a person. So I have mentioned to some people, yes, I, I love them. I don't like them, but I do love them. I do love. And then someone told me, well, how could you say that? Because you're telling Jesus that you don't like him. And I say, it's precisely because I love God, you know, it's, it's yeah. better than, than mere sentiment. Yeah. And that. So could, could you deepen, you know, talk yeah. about a little bit more? Um, sure. Well, first of all, let's take the example of our Lord. Always a good place to start, right? Uh, did he love the Pharisees? Yes, he did. Yes, did he, he did. Like, did he like them? Probably not. Not. We don't have any indication that he did. <laughs> um, I, he was so extraordinarily harsh to the Pharisees. He didn't show any affection for them, uh, but he, he did show great love for them by doing what was good for them, right? By calling them to repentance. Uh, so our Lord already shows um, the, the capacity to, to love someone who is, who is very distasteful. Did he love Judas? Yes, he did. Uh, why else would our Lord tell us to love our, our enemies, right? For he's acknowledging that we have enemies, people who are and usually your enemy is not somebody that you have great affection for. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think that that's, that's very much a, um, uh, a, a failure to make distinctions between affection and, and charity. Uh, but, but there's also something else there that it, by doing that, you're, you're not loving Christ. Uh, okay, so yeah, how do, we, how do we address that? Because our Lord is, he is in those who suffer. He's in those, even those who are offensive to us. Uh, he is present either, either, either by grace, by the potential of grace. Uh, Robert Hugh Benson in his book, uh, Friendship of Christ, he, he, he talks about this and that, I mean, it, it, we really have to kind of see through all of the stuff that is distasteful and choose to love the person. Um, but it doesn't require us to have affection um, for, for all of those things. Okay. Now, having said all of that, the more that we can cultivate affection, the better. It just, it just, it, it's, it's a support uh, uh, to um, to that uh, supernatural virtue. Uh, not absolutely necessary, but but a good support, and uh, and will help us. So that that's why it's good to you know not complain about people and point out their faults and harp on them and brood about them because then you're just you're stifling any ability to think well of the person. 
So I hope that's helpful. All right. This next one is coming in from Chris who writes, Father, you discussed the gift of baptism, which allows us to love as God loves because that virtue is infused in us. Is it possible, therefore, for those who are unbaptized to love God and others? Uh, not without a, an extraordinary supernatural gift of grace. So God, we know that God's, God's grace comes to us through the sacraments, through their very working. So we know that, that it is given in baptism and in other sacraments. But God is not confined to it. So could he impart that grace to someone who is not baptized? Yes, that's possible. It's theologically possible. But we don't want to, for that matter, because of that, just say that, you know, everybody's capable of it. No, a, a Christian, because of the, 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 this infusion of the, the virtue of charity, the Christian is capable of loving in a way that those who do not believe or are not baptized cannot. And shame on us if we don't live that according to that. I mean, see, that's the thing is that it, it shouldn't be a boast. It should, it, it's more of a threat than a boast <laughs> right? that, that, that we, we, are, we are capable of that in, in a way that others are not. That's frightening. Yeah. Following up on that, there's another question related coming from Katrina, who asks, what actions can we take to invigorate the God-infused charity within us if it seems dormant? This is why I like the Q&A, because it always brings up things that I had forgotten to mention or didn't get to because I went too long. Okay. Well, first of all, pray the act of charity. Oh my God, I love you above all things. We are all good and worthy of all love. And I love my neighbor self for love of you. Right. Okay. So, you know, pray that after receiving Holy communion, um, uh, at, at, at my parish here, we put a, um, a prayer card in the pews and it's got the act of faith, act of hope, act of love on there. Because what, what better prayers to pray uh, after receiving Holy Communion? And so to, to choose it and, and to say, yes, Lord, I'm choosing to love, that strengthens the will. How are you going to strengthen the will except by exercising it? So that, that would be a good thing. Reception of the sacraments and asking especially for it. And being attentive to the prayers at Mass especially, because so many of the prayers are asking for this. And uh, especially the post-communion prayer. Um, we want to be built up in charity. When we receive the Eucharist, we are receiving uh, love himself. And so we should say, Lord, you know, help me to love as you love. Increase this, this, this virtue within me so that I can love not with my meager, stingy, selfish heart, but so that I can love with your heart. Perform works of mercy. You know, one thing to keep in mind is that even though that there is a hierarchy of the love of God and love of neighbor, there's not a, there's not, that's not the chronology. It's not like you could say, well, listen, I'm still trying to love God, so I can't go love neighbor yet. Okay. No, go out and, and do works of mercy and find ways to, to help those who are in need. Visit people in nursing homes because they're terribly neglected. Uh, seek out the poor. Who is poor in your community? And one of the biggest problems we have in the United States is that um, the poor are very often hidden from us because we live very segregated lives. So we, we, we have to, who, who is struggling uh, and who can I go help? Um, so th those, those are um, uh, to, to perform concrete uh, works of mercy is very, is very important for, for helping to do that. You know, 
if we love someone, we should do good for that person. But it's also true that if we do good for a person, we will grow to love that person. And uh, another way, meditate on divine goodness. <laughs> meditate on our Lord's passion. Med uh, this is the month of June, the month of the Sacred Heart, not the month of pride, all right? Um, the month of the Sacred Heart. We should be meditating on, on that, great that, that great image of divine love, that everything that he, is, he, that he has suffered for us and still continues to love us. Uh, behold the heart that has suffered so much for men and has received in return such coldness. So meditating on the passion of our Lord, the, um, the devotion of the sacred heart, uh, the, the, that's, that's another way of, of helping to grow. Blanca, I see that you have your hand raised. Do you want to go ahead and unmute yourself? So can one love too much uh, your neighbor or and to the detriment of that person? Yeah, great, great question. Uh, there's no, no such thing. So every virtue, St. Thomas says, is um, uh, the medium between two extremes, right? Um, and which doesn't mean that virtues are mediocre. And so can you love too much? No, absolutely not. But you can love in the wrong way. And this, this is the history of humanity. Not that we don't love, but that we love in the wrong way. Okay. And so uh, we see this in a, in a, in a lot of marriages, uh, a lot of families. Um, uh, th there will be, you know, a discord uh, because of, a, of inordinate love there, or there will be indulgence because, because of that inordinate love. And so what we want to pray, you know, one thing we want to pray for, and when we talk about the Sacred Heart, we should be reminded of the, the fire that, that uh, is um, associated, the fire of love associated with the Sacred Heart. We want to pray for pure purification of our love. Uh, we want our love uh, to be purified so that, so that it is not inordinate or, um, or out of whack, right? So um, once we, we love properly, there's no limit to you know the degree to which we 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 can and should love, but um, but we do have to always ask the Lord to purify and correct our love, make sure that it's that it, that it's on the right path. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a very good question because you hear hear you know people oh, you know uh, you know she loved him too much. Well, no, she probably loved him the wrong way. <laughs> you know, if she was indulging his 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 alcoholism. Mm -hmm. It, it meant that not that she loved him too much, but that she was loving him in the wrong way. So in order to love uh, someone well, uh, properly, do they need to understand love and, as well? It, it, what if one has one understanding of love and another has a different understanding of that? Oh yeah, I mean this. This is what makes for conflict, right? And 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 tension. Uh, and <laughs> children use this, right? You don't love me. <laughs> you know, if you love me, you'd let me have my own way. <laughs> well, no, I love you, so I want what is good for you, right? And um, and so yeah, that's that's what leads to tension and and discord in relationships is when. Um, th there's not that, that proper understanding of love on one part or the other. And let me also point out 
this is another area in which all the virtues are combined because what we're talking about right now is the role of the virtue of prudence because prudence will help us to know what is the good to be done in this instance and what is the good to be done for this person i mean there's certain goods that we should that apply to everyone but then okay for this particular person how do i how do i will the good for this person and what what is what is good for this person uh, specifically in this situation. That's, that's where we, we really need the, the virtue of prudence. And, that, and that, that, that heightens our awareness that what we're talking about here, this supernatural charity, is not sentimentalism. It's not just an emotion because it needs this help of prudence to see uh, the good that's to be done in a certain situation and for a particular person. And any parent knows this because no two children are the same, Right. They, they respond to different, and the modern world recognizes this, right? You've got the book on love languages. I don't know what they are, four or five love languages. I don't know. But actually, it's, it's a good recognition that different temperaments respond to different expressions of love. Okay. And then, then you need prudence. How do I love this person the way this person can best receive the love that I have to give? Thank you, Father. Um, we've gone a little bit over. Do, do we have time for one more question, Father Scalia? Yeah. One more. Okay. And before I get to that, there have been a few questions that have come in, um, I suppose, because it is Pride Month and on top of people's minds about how to love members of the LGBTQ community. We do have a talk in our library that Father Scalia gave um, many years ago, speaking the truth in love, Christianity and homosexuality. Um, so I'd refer you to that talk. We also have a couple other talks in our library um, that you'd find helpful. Can I explode something? <laughs> Can I detonate something here? Uh, let's not let's not use the term LGBT community, okay? Because because I think that 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 presents it as a a unified, organized whole that 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 it that it isn't really. And um, I know uh, Father James Martin has used that uh, to pit you know basically the LGBT community on one side uh, and the church on the other. And it, and it, it, it is also, I mean, it's also, and I'm, Kelsey, I don't mean to beat up on you. <laughs> it's a commonly used phrase, but um, we don't want to think of people just in terms of categories, black, white, Hispanic, gay, bi, trans, whatever else. We want to think of people as persons. So, as, as, so, so we want to t- talk about just persons who have these experiences, or claim this identity, okay? That that's uh, so. So anyway, um, sorry, Kelsey. I, I'm not. I don't mean to beat up on you, but um, so that that that's one thing. Um, yes, I mean, called called to love. I mean, absolutely. And and this is why the, the church is teaching. This is a great example. Um, in fact, uh, the Truth and Love website is one that you should all visit uh, because it addresses precisely this issue. We, we, we are called to love every single person. And the, the question here is how, how do we express that love in, um, in a way that they can receive that, doesn't do, that, that conveys the truth and doesn't do any, any violence to the truth? Okay, we don't want to fall into the trap of saying, uh, of bracketing the truth and then saying, okay, I'm going to love them. No, the truth is at the service of love and vice versa. And so this requires great, great prudence. And, um, and you know, uh, parents who have children who have 
transitioned or, you know, invite them to their to, to their gay wedding or whatever else. That's a very difficult situation. How do I continue not just to love this person, but to express my love uh, while at the same time communicating the truth as best I can? By what means can I do this? And, and, and what's, the, what's the best way? That takes a great deal of prudence. And that's, it's, a, it's a huge challenge for the church. Mary Hassan, who's done such great work on this, um, I think it was Mary, maybe it was her sister, but um, made the observation that, that it's been a very deliberate thing to compromise the church's teaching, to basically use the church's teaching on love and, and distort it to just compassion or false compassion in order to get acceptance of these things in. It's, it, it is not charity to, um, to approve of your loved one's vices. That's not charity. That's not charity, okay? It's not, it's not charity for a spouse to approve of the other's, you know, uh, alcoholism or, you know, or gambling habit or whatever else. So, I mean, this is not, it's not like we're single, singling out, um, you know, uh, one, one specific vice, uh, but just applying it to that. So. Yeah. Thank you for that answer and for that clarification. And we'll just conclude with one question from Inez. So Inez, if you want to go ahead and unmute yourself. I have one one question that I think it has to do with prudence too. Um, you were talking about the hierarchies of love of God, love of yourself in order to also be able to love the others. Uh, what about those times in life when, specifically when we're caregivers, our children, a sick parent, a sick spouse, where um, it's hard to love ourselves in order to love the others and the love for the others comes first? Yeah, that's uh, okay. So that's a great question. And it, and it really stretches us, doesn't it? And um yeah, here's an analogy, um, and I I, um, I go over this with couples when when we do marriage prep. I kind of put them on the spot: which comes first, your children or your relationship? Quick, choose. Which is it, children or your relationship? Uh, and 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 of course, you know, uh, some of them buckle and say, oh, "It's the children," because children are you know they're they're in need and they're vulnerable and everything. Uh, but the more savvy couples say, "Well, we can't help the children unless our relationship is is solid." Okay, which is which is the proper proper way to go about it. At the same time, sometimes the children are just going to prevent the couple from having a date night, <laughs> or just having a conversation, right? Uh, and so, likewise, when we are caring for others, the demands may 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 really kind of cut into our time for prayer and and reflection, which helps to build up that love of God. And, and to receive his love and build up that proper love of self. Um, this is what, and, and you anticipated the answer that has to do with prudence, right? And, and we have to discern what is a reasonable demand on my time and what is not. Uh, Mother Teresa's nuns, uh, very often uh, when they, uh, uh, they'll, they'll just close <laughs> whatever like soup kitchen they're running or whatever else, they'll close it because they're gonna go pray. Because they need to, <laughs> and the poor will be there in the morning. <laughs> but unless they build up, then and so th there, there is that that difficulty. And sometimes the strain will be really intense uh, in times of grave illness, or how about in times of war when there's simply, you know, you you think of 
you know, nurses on the front line, for example, who they, 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 they need to keep things in order, but there's no time. So, uh, and this is where um, uh, your things are really gonna be stretched, but uh, we do have to be prudent and discerning. What is an authentic emergency? What, what do I really need to do? Um, and, and we wanna be generous and not, not just say, what do I really need to do in terms of what's the bare minimum? But um, how can I be generous in, a, in such a way that it doesn't compromise uh, my, my, my spiritual life, right? Uh, realizing that, you know, some, sometimes, I mean, every priest has experienced this. Some days you just get in the bare minimum because you, what, what happens? There's a, you, get a, you get an emergency call to the hospital. Boom, your whole day is gone. That's it. And, and the best you can do is, you know, what uh, the church fathers called uh, throwing javelins to heaven, you know, just, just, just throw, throwing, throwing prayers up there. So uh, it, it's a good question. And it's one that the answer you already anticipated is, is uh, praying for the, that gift of prudence. How do, how can I keep these, these loves in their proper hierarchy, given these demanding situations? Wonderful. Thank you so much again, Father Scalia. And thank you everyone thank you. for being with us tonight. Could Always you... good to be with you. God bless yeah. you. Thank All you right. so much. We hope you enjoyed this program from the Institute of Catholic Culture. Remember to download our app and share our online library with friends, co-workers, and family members. To learn more, get involved, and support the Institute's work, visit instituteofcatholicculture.org and visit us on social media.